Uh, we are, uh, as I said, uh, I've, I've been saying now for quite a few weeks, we're in a series that we're doing called Everyday Essentials. And uh, the point of this series is to talk through the essential things when it comes to building our foundation of our life on Jesus. And uh, what I've been encouraged by as we've been going through this uh, series together is that um, we've been looking at some basic things, right? I mean, things that all of us, if we're following after Jesus and learning from Him and growing in Him, we should be able to know how to do these things. And yet, sometimes they just become rituals or you know, things that we do on a continual basis and they lose some of the life uh, that goes into what should be empowering us to do them. And, uh, but over time, they just become you know, things that we do. And we either do them out of habit or we stop doing them. And so um, one of the things that I've been just encouraged of and reminded of as we've been going through this series is just breathing life back into some basic things like reading our Bibles and praying and being able to walk with the Spirit and being able to love others. And I hope that's happening for you as well, that as we've gone through these things, you go, oh my gosh, not only are they foundational to us walking as, as Jesus followers, and as a community together, but um, there's a whole lot of life that's, that comes with these things that we maybe forgot about. And so I hope that is happening uh, for you. It's been happening for me as we've gone through it. And last week we looked at like a, one of the most basic fundamental things that we should know how to do, which is to love. Um, but oftentimes what happens when our, our love is that this, the term becomes so fuzzy to us that we, it loses meaning for us, Right? And so last week we talked about love as being giving uh, others access to our lives. And what does it look like for us to do that? And, and with all of these things, I hope you're seeing a pattern because what it means to walk out all of these different things that we're talking about, whether it's looking to God for direction or loving others or following the Spirit, we essentially need two things all the time. One, we need to remember or understand the good news of the Gospel in order to do it the way that we should. And two, we need God Himself. And so you, I was just remembering this as a preparing for today. You can't do any of these things without God Himself showing up and empowering you to do them. Sometimes we think we can like read our Bibles and pray and not like have to have the Holy Spirit speak to us and convict us and change us when we do those things. It's just crazy. Because the point of those things is for us to be reconnected with, the, with God for Him to be the Lord of our life, for Him to direct us. So if we think we can do those things without Him, we're seriously mistaken. Um, And that is certainly true of the one that we're going to talk about today. So today, we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict. And uh, so I I mentioned last week, it was Mother's Day, and I was originally planning to do this on Mother's Day, which wasn't a good idea for, uh, for moms to try to do conflict resolution on Mother's Day. Um, but we need to do it. And so it's funny because uh, several people have asked me what we're going to talk about today, not just here, but elsewhere. And I'll say, we're, we're talking about how to resolve conflict. And they have kind of like this dual reaction, like, huh, oh. You know, like, <laughs> both like, wow, that's really needed, and I don't really want to address it. <laughs> Can we figure out a way not to talk about that? So uh, I hope, as with all of these things, we're talking about it in such a way that actually gives you confidence to move forward in it. 
Um, if you're new to us, though, we, we often dialogue through our messages. And I'll, I'll throw out questions, and so you can really give an answer to this. But what are some of the relationships that you experience conflict in? <laughs> All of them, right. Every single one of them. What, what, yeah, absolutely. So what, what are some of those relationships that fall under the category of all? <laughs> With work? Pastor Churchgoer. Pastor Churchgoer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's true, right? It's true. Um, I heard marriage relationship, right? And ch- yeah, children to parents. Yep. Any others? Siblings, good. Yeah. And not just when you're like four and five, duking it out on the back, in the backyard, right? When you're 25 and, 20 and 24, when you're 45 and 44, there, we need to know how to resolve conflict, right? Any other relationships? Yeah, between friends. Hopefully you love your friends enough to have conflict with them. If you never have conflict with your friends, you probably don't know them well enough, and they probably don't know you well enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Which, which you could say also, total strangers, right? How many of you have had a conflict even just this last week with a total stranger? They may not have known it because you were probably in your car when it happened. <laughs> but yeah, it's happening. Yeah, one more. Yeah, with ourselves. We often come into conflict with ourselves. So we need to know how to do this, right? Conflict is a huge part of life, and it actually affects every relationship that we have. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to know how is it that we go about resolving conflict. And here's what I've discovered, because I've been in this game long enough and part of the church world, and now you know, being a pastor for several years and getting the opportunity even to do a lot of like marriage counseling or premarital counseling, And here's what I've discovered. We're terrible at this. We're absolutely, utterly terrible at resolving conflict biblically. And and I don't, you know, I'm not saying that to like shame us or to put us down. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are just undertrained in this area. We haven't been trained to know how to walk this out biblically. And because we haven't, it results in greater conflict. And, and here's the secondary level to it, which I think might even be the most important. It results in other people learning about conflict resolution from our inadequacies in resolving conflict. So if you and your spouse are just terrible at resolving conflict, or you avoid conflict and it never comes up, then the first time your kids experience conflict, they either follow your pattern or they don't know what to do. And so it's really, really important for all of us to know how to actually resolve conflict in a biblical way. So I want to look at a couple passages that introduce us to this, and then we'll, we'll go from there with, with more of a, a process maybe that we can go through to start to walk this out together. So, so two passages that where Jesus addresses and talks about conflict. The first one is in Matthew 18, and he starts in, in verse 15 to 17. He says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, or sins, The implication being against you particularly. And and so brother or sister, not just meaning biological, like like was mentioned, but someone within uh, at least the family of God, if not the family of humanity. Okay, so that pretty much covers every relationship. 
So go and point out their fault. Between who? Just between the two of you. That's an important first step. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so what Jesus is talking about there is may, not necessarily going and getting a group of people who agree with you and then going back to the person and going, hey, look at all the people that agree with the offense that you had against me. No, it's going and getting a couple you know, uh, non-judgmental, non-partisan people to breathe in the, the conversation with you and then have them listen and see if there's actually an offense that needs to be reconciled. Are we picking up on that? And then, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them as a non-brother or a non-sister. And, and um, we're not going to talk about you know, all the ways that we do that, but I just want to introduce this to you. But I, here's, here's the thing. Notice what Jesus does not say when it comes to resolving conflict. He does not say if your brother or sister sins against you, go and get someone else who's going to be a counselor to you and ask them to pray about the situation. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say go and talk to a bunch of people about what happened so that they can join you on your side and then you can go and prove that you're right. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Simple. What does he say? Step number one. Go, if you're sinned against, if there's an offense, you might go, oh, well, you know, Jesus, it was a really big offense. It's still under the category of offense, right? Go to whom? Go to your brother, go to your sister, and talk to him about it alone. That's step number one. See, when it comes to conflict resolution, we need to know that there's kind of a bigger uh, conversation that probably needs to happen around this issue when it comes to gossip. And there are a couple things that you need to know about gossip. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but you need to know a few things when it comes to this. One is that you're not to participate in it. We're not to participate in it. And so please, if there's a conflict going on in your life, and particularly with somebody else, maybe even in this room, don't go and talk to somebody else about it before you go and talk to the person who created the offense. And I would go as far as to say, don't talk to people in your Cultivate community. Don't talk to me. Don't, maybe even don't even talk to your spouse before you go and try to be reconciled with the person that you have the issue with. If you do come to me, I just want you to know this. The first question I will ask you is, have you talked to them? And if the answer is no, I will not entertain anymore. I will turn you back around and send you in the direction of the person that you have the conflict with. Please know, if you come to my office or call me on the phone to do something like that, that's going to be step number one for me. If the answer is yes, now there's a whole bunch of other things that we may need to talk about. But if the answer is no, just know that that's step number one. Okay. Secondly, if it's not maybe you're involved in it, but somebody else that you know is involved in it, please don't entertain gossip. So if somebody comes to you asking your advice on what to do 
about a conflict, and particularly if somebody else that you know, and they're trying to clue you in on the details of what happened with this third party, who you're also in relationship, please turn them around and ask them to go back to the person. I'm... I know I'm, I'm trying to be like really direct and clear about that because I think it's super important. Kind of understand those two things. But don't participate and don't entertain it. Now you might ask, okay, well, what does this have to do with conflict resolution? Well, here's the truth. We are dead in the water when it comes to addressing conflict if we allow ourselves to resort to gossip rather than resolving conflict face-to-face. We're dead. If you can't get step number one, it doesn't matter how many steps come after it. None of those steps are going to do us any good if we don't have step one. Got to have step one. See, the first thing that we need to know about conflict resolution is that it, I mean, this seems simple, right? Conflict can only be resolved by going to the person with whom you have the conflict. That's like kindergarten level stuff, right? But it's amazing to me how much we skip over that step. And we think we're going to resolve conflict by skipping over step number one. It's just not going to happen. So step one is address it directly. And then Jesus goes on, well, in in Matthew 5, he says, address it immediately. So he says this, therefore, if if, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you. So now it's not the other way around. It's something against you. Leave your gift, gift there. Um, in front of the altar, go first and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So let's just talk about those two things, the the two passages. How is it that Jesus recommends us to handle or to address conflict? What are some things that come to mind as you just heard in those two passages? Okay, yeah, immediately. It's important for us to know that because... There's, there's a, a, fra- a, a phrase or a recommendation or a piece of advice out there that says time heals all wounds. It's garbage. It does not. Sometimes time makes things worse. He, he says address it immediately if, it, if you can. What else? There's a bunch of good stuff in here. Yeah, do, do so with, with forgiveness in your heart. Right? So that means that we should resolve conflict not looking to get our way or to be right every time. The primary goal of resolving conflict should be to win our brother or sister back into relationship. Every time. And if that means that you need to be wrong to do it, Jesus says, so be it. Believe that there's enough grace for you that you don't have to be right in everything so long as you love others well with the way that you resolve conflict. It's big, right? We need to know that. What else? Twilight, I saw your hand up. Yeah, so if possible, address it directly in private so that you can restore them back into relationship with you. If possible. Yeah, what else? Yeah, right. So, so we should understand that there's a, a direct connection, right, between the relationships that we have with one another and our relationship with God. And if we try to separate those two things and pretend that they're not in, in and of the same like, sphere of life, then we fooled ourselves, right? 
I think oftentimes as the church, we can think it's just primarily like, oh, it's just me and God, it's me and God, it's me and God. And there's all this conflict going around horizontally, and Jesus is going, no, the two are related. You don't see it. Go and, and fix some of this in your life and see how, how much this starts to actually get realigned, right? Let me ask this then. How do we often handle conflict? Okay, yeah. We avoid it. Yeah. Which I just want to be clear, if in our avoiding of conflict, what we're saying as we avoid it is that we love ourselves more than the other person. We're trying to protect ourselves by not engaging in the resolving of the conflict. Because it's, I mean, it's easier not to resolve conflict. We could just all be super honest about that, right? It's much easier not to resolve conflict, or at least we think it is. We're in self-protection mode at that point, which is going against what we talked about last week, which is loving others with, our, with access to our life. What else? I mean, what are some of the other things that are true about the way that we often handle conflict? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we just we use it as an opportunity to get our way or to speak our mind or to get our thing or to, you know, our opinion above, you know, other people's opinion. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the third party gets the the, you know, the overflow of the mess and you end up creating more conflict with the, another person when maybe that's not even like the root of the conflict. You're just angry because you're not resolved with one person and it ends up affecting others. It's oftentimes the way homes work, right? Conflict between mom and dad and who gets the outcome of it? The kids do. I've noticed that in our own household, by the way. It's not, I'm not like shifting that off to somebody else, but when Mandy and I are like just not seeing eye to eye on something, we end up being angry at our kids as a result of it rather than giving them grace. Anything else? Yeah. All right, so we blame shift. So it wasn't my issue to begin with, or I didn't start it, or we're only in conflict because I'm stressed out in this other area. And if I didn't have this stress over here, well, then we wouldn't have had the issue. We're just shifting blame rather than taking responsibility for our side of it. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a truth that as the individual relationships are happening, it's having a collective effect, right? And so the more conflict is being unresolved individually within the body, the more we're at a disadvantage when it comes to resolving it collectively. I mean, take it even a step further because we're called to be agents of reconciliation in the world, right? So the church is meant to be this picture of what it looks like for the peace of God to come into the world And if we can't get conflict resolution right between each of us, how in the world are we going to be that picture to others? One leads to the other. And and it's hampered by it if we can't do it on on an individual basis. Yeah, it makes us uncomfortable, right? And we think it's the loving thing to do by allowing someone just to remain without addressing it because that's what our culture has told us what love is, is not addressing and correcting things that need correction, but just kind of just hands-off approach to everything. Um, it's, but we talked about this before. What's the most loving thing that we can do for one another? 
the most loving thing we can do for one another is help one another grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. That is the most loving thing that you can do for your spouse, you can do for your kids, you can do for your friends, you can do for people in your community group, all of those things. That's, that's central because that's what we were intended for. And so when we allow conflict not to be addressed, we're allowing whatever that, that created that issue, which is, we're going to talk about some of the roots of those things, but we're, we're allowing that to go unchecked, uncorrected, un, unaddressed with the grace of God to actually redeem us in it. So it's not the loving thing to do for one another. Right, yep. So, and some of the reason why we think it might get worse if we address it is maybe we've been um, modeled something that like, often results in things getting worse than better. You know, so maybe it's not good conflict resolution, but, but poor skills in that area. And so things do get worse rather than better, and so we're afraid of that happening. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a conflict. If they would just humble themselves, we'd get over this thing. But it's their fault that they're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, which kind of goes against what Jesus just said, right? Yeah, one more. Yeah, and we're, we're going to hopefully address some of that. Like, what do you do if you get to the point where, it's, like uh, Roman says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. So where do you get to the point of once it's not depending on you anymore? And how do you actually get some type of resolution even if there isn't full restoration? It's a big question, right? Because many of us have conflicts with people that we don't talk to anymore. You might even have a conflict with somebody who's not on earth anymore. And still, though, Jesus calls you to peace as much as it depends on you. So how do you do that, right? Why, so why is it important? I mean, just a couple things. Why, why does Jesus care so much about resolution? We talked about a couple reasons already. Why is it important to actually know how to address this? What's that? Okay. Yeah, we... We need to be transparent in our relationships with one another, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and think of Jesus as a king. What is he a king of? He's a king of peace. So he's bringing peace to the world. And if we're not experiencing peace in our relationship, there's some aspect of our lives then that we are rejecting Jesus' leadership. It's foundational. Not only that, but we're a family, Right? We talk about this constantly. My group was picking on me on Thursday or on Friday because of this. Like we just, you know, we talk about family all the time, and they were joking around about it. But but we do. We talk about family a lot, right? And as a family, we're meant to be the family of God, which means reconciled relationships with brothers and sisters. Think of the quality of the family that we are supposed to be a part of. He, Jesus doesn't want his family divided. There's a number of other things, but I want to move on and just get us into some more stuff here because we have to know how do we resolve conflict? What do we need to do? What do we need to understand about conflict in order to do it? So here's what I wanted you to do. Bring this from the theoretical down to the actual and think about a conflict that you have with someone in your life right now or a conflict that you've had with somebody recently. Maybe it's existed for years and years. Maybe it arose uh, out of someone saying something hurtful 
or breaking a promise or not meeting an expectation of yours or being thoughtless and prideful. And you go, man, when I just think about this person, I know that there's issues there that were not reconciled with one another. I know like you, I've experienced conflict in almost every single relationship that I've ever had. So how do you go about dressing it? Well, here's, here's the picture I want to give you um, that we're going to work on. So think about conflict like a boxing ring. Right? It was one of my favorite toys growing up, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'd probably still beat you if we, if we played it together, just letting you know right now. I was pretty good at it. I had a lot of practice beating my five-year-old sister. So now, now I'm using this as, as kind of a serious and somewhat silly analogy. And the reason I'm being a little bit silly with it is because we're about to dig into some things that are going to be pretty stinking difficult, okay? Um, and so I'm bringing a little bit of levity to, to the situation, just so you know. Um, but I want you to under, like think of conflict like being in a boxing match, and you're in relationship with somebody, and all of a sudden it goes from kind of a love match to a battle. And um, their argument happens, or words come out, and they're starting to be thrown like punches, and you're countering with what you think, and, and, and it's turned into a battle. All of a sudden you, you've got boxing gloves on, and things aren't going well. And then th- this often happens in conflict, uh, you get a moment where you have some kind of pause and the boxers go to their corners. Okay, so think of this analogy. Now, I know there are no corners in Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's pretty much just beat the living daylights out of the other robot until it's done. But it's, so here's where the analogy breaks down with the picture. But anyway, so you go to your corner. What do you do when you're in your corner and the, the, the fight or the argument or the conflict is at a pause point. The question to that, or the answer to that question is going to be crucial to how you go about walking out the rest of the conflict. Okay, so I'd love for all this to happen in the midst of the conflict, but if we can learn how to do this when we're just taking a break from the conflict, I think that would be incredibly good for us. But here's, here's what I've discovered often happens when you go to your corner and there's some kind of break in the conflict. You kind of do one of two things. Either you're, you're sort of planning your escape from the ring, right? So you're in the conflict, conflicts happen, and now from that moment on, you're thinking, how can I get out of the fight? How can I like move away from the battle, not have to go back in, protect myself because I might get beat up a few more times again? And, and sometimes we've had relationships with people where we've been in a battle, and as soon as the bell rings and we go to our corner, we're in our dressing room, we're in the car, and then we're in another state. Because we don't want to address it, right? We talked about that. Secondly, what I've found is that um, if you're not planning your escape, you're probably planning out the next round and how you're going to win the next round. Right? So the moment you get a pause in the fight, you go to your corner and you start to give yourself a pep talk about all the counter punches you're going to give in the next round. How many of you have ever done that? Just let's be honest. Okay. Those of you without your hands raised, I'll 
give you the grace to, you know, probably should have your hand up too. Just saying. But you get ready to fight again, right? And you start giving your, yourself a pep talk. And when they say this, I'm going to say this back. And I'm going to come back with this counter argument. And I'm going to fight this way. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to jab. And I'm going to punch. And I'm going to back away. And I'm going to try not to stay on the ropes for too long. And all those things. And really what's going on in that moment is that you have an enemy that's speaking into your ear telling you exactly what you need not to do. So we do have an enemy. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks actually. The fact that we have an enemy who loves the fact that we are in conflict with one another wants nothing more than to perpetuate that conflict. So when you're in your corner and you're listening to all the ways you're going to go back out there and fight, it's not just you giving yourself the pep talk. It's your enemy saying, here's how to continue the conflict and not see resolution in it. I just want to encourage you, the moment that you're in the corner is the moment that you need the Spirit of God to break in and train you to do something different when you get back out there. Because if you don't, there will not be any peace in the relationship. There won't. So how do you actually seek peace when you're in your corner? Well, I want to talk about five steps, and hopefully we're going to move through these rather quickly for resolving conflict. And these are just practical things that we can start to do uh, when we're in the midst of of these types of conflict. And here's what I'll say about this, because you're going to go, oh, this seems really simplistic, and it doesn't apply to my situation. I want you to know, not every conflict will be resolvable through these five steps alone. But every conflict resolved will include at least these five things. So please don't discount them and go, well, my situation's different. Please listen to these five things because it may involve more than this, but it will never involve less. We cool? We understand those things? And each of these things has some aspect of the gospel that we're going to need to believe in order to walk out this step. Okay? So here's the first one. Ask the Spirit to convict you. It seems a little backwards, right? Because the first thing that you're going to want the Spirit to do is to convict the other person for the wrong that they've done against you. But you need, and here's the thing, you've had enough time talking to yourself in the corner about what they should be convicted about. You need to stop that and actually ask the Spirit of God to reveal something about your heart. You need Him to convict you. And so ask, Holy Spirit, I probably have something to own when it comes to this situation. Will you show me what that is? And here's what you need to believe about the Gospel in order to do this. It seems obvious, but we need to understand it. We are not perfect. Right? We're not perfect. We don't handle every situation and every relationship perfectly, which sounds easy to say, and it's kind of a a flag that we like to, to, you know, raise quite oftentimes and just go, yeah, well, nobody's perfect. And we we do that, we tend to do that when we think we're wrong about something, but we rarely speak that truth back into our life when we think we're right about something. Right? But that's when we need to hear it, too, is that we're not perfect. See, it's much easier for me to justify my behavior than it is for me to admit that I brought some kind of sin to the table. 
And it's hard to confess that you failed when it comes to handling something correctly. Even when you think you've handled it correctly, I would encourage you to ask the Spirit that. And the good news of the Gospel that we need to hear in the midst of that is that the Gospel says you don't need to be defined by your perfection. You don't need to be perfect when it comes to your relationships. You get to be a failure. Oftentimes, we, we, just, we want that word to be the last thing that we hear, particularly when it comes to relationships, that we failed. I just want to remind us and, and, and encourage us that if we can't admit that we're a failure in, in an aspect of life, then that's an area of life that we are saying back to Jesus, I do not need your sacrifice on my behalf. I don't need it. I can walk by the cross and go, well, stinks for you, but I'm doing pretty good in this area. See, the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus died for failures. He died for failures like you and me that don't live up to our expectations and don't uh, always say, the loving and the gentle and the kind thing to others when they need to hear it. 1 John 1.7 says this, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so think about the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we know James tells us that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if you're thinking about a, a conflict that you've had, and you're thinking of all the ways that you're correct or you're right in it, then that is your pride leading you to do those things, which means if you're clinging to your pride rather than having humility of what you brought to the table, Jesus is diametrically opposed to you at that point in time. So how in the world are you going to get reconciliation in a relationship if Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is opposed to you and the way that you're going about doing it? It's impossible. Right? Completely impossible. The good news, though, is if we actually have humility about what we bring to the table, Jesus gives grace for that. Which means He will empower you to actually walk the rest of this out. And so we need to pray and ask the Spirit, just like the psalmist did when he said in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And by God's grace, the Spirit will be faithful to reveal things in your own heart that need to be addressed before you can address anything that the other person did. Remember what we talked about with the Spirit? It's His job to convict, and so we don't need to convict people of sin. The Spirit comes in and He convicts our hearts. And He leads us. And so it starts with us. Which leads to the second thing, is that the Spirit does not want you to remain in a place of condemnation or conflict or, condem or, or, or feeling like you're judged over the thing that He reveals to you because the very next thing that He will lead you to do is to repent and to receive God's forgiveness. See, here's the thing about relational conflict. We... We think that it's just a horizontal breakdown between two people, right? Like something happened and it's a horizontal conflict that happens. The truth is, is that it started with a vertical breakdown. The brokenness between us and God 
is the, is the thing that spills out onto our relationship. It gets manifested in our brokenness with other people. And so the reason that we experience conflict in relationships with humans is because there's conflict in our relationship with God. James 4 says it this way. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's like the question, right? What, what's the root cause? What's the issue here? Why does it happen? And he goes on, he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And the rest of James 4 goes on and talks all about a relationship with God. See, they're connected. One of the greatest examples of this is actually David in Psalm 51. He, he's giving a, 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 a psalm of repentance to God, and he had just, on the heels of, of his actions, um, gone out and had, had an adulterous relationship with someone who was married, and then when he was about to get found out about it, he sends the husband of the wife into battle so that they're going to get killed. And so he's an adulterer and a murderer. And when you look at Psalm 51, what does David say? Against you and you only have I sinned. You think, you're delusional. Why in the world are you saying that? And the reason is because it was the breakdown of his relationship with God that led to those things. The reason he fell into this relationship with Bathsheba is because he wasn't trusting God in a number of ways. And he started to take God off the throne and put himself on the throne and say, you know what, it's my desires and my needs and my wants that are above everything else. And because of those things, that led him into adultery. And because he was ashamed of his sin and didn't realize that our God is a God of grace who forgives and gives justice when we need it, he hid from his sin like having her husband killed. See, how do you bring about restoration in your relationship with God then? We need to repent. Which isn't a popular word nowadays. But to repent just simply means to change our mind about who or what God is. It's to change our mind about who He is or what God is. Because maybe we've made other things our God and we need to restore it back to Him being God. Or maybe we've forgotten the kind of God that He's like. And so we need to understand that He is a God of peace and forgiveness and justice and goodness and grace and kindness and mercy. All the things that we could ever want and come to Him as He is. I was realizing this. I had a conflict with Mandy recently whereby I was uh, kind of uh, not walking out some of my responsibilities in our home. And uh, she uh, lovingly confronted me on it. And um, it was, uh, there was a number of different things, but one of them was just in the area of prayer. And she felt like uh, she needed to play the role of leader when it comes to initiating prayer in our home. And she was feeling the weight of that because I was leaving that responsibility to her. Um, so the fallout of that sin was that we had conflict because Mandy's going, you're not... You're not being the husband that you need to be at this moment in time. 
But the reason I was doing it wasn't because I had anything against her or against the boys or anything like that. It was because I forgot a bunch of things about my relationship with God. I'd forgotten that he had called me to be the leader in our house. And I wasn't trusting him to be that leader. And I was giving away that responsibility to anyone who would pick up the baton. And Mandy had to be the one to pick it up. And so it was resulting in conflict in our marriage. See, when you begin resolving conflict by examining your own heart and repenting before God, it restores something in you called the fear of the Lord. Which is the realization that it was God who was most offended by the whole mess in the first place. And what happens when you fear God most is that you can actually start to approach the other person in humility rather than pride. And here's what I've learned, that if you don't get straight with God first, then the person that you're in conflict with is still going to be some kind of God in your life. And you will try to manage and resolve the conflict in such a way to just please the other person or, or restore relationship because you need something from them rather than God being the primary reason for you doing the restoration. See, the gospel truth that we need to remember in this step is that when you ask for forgiveness before God, you get it every time. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. But that's a verse that we need to understand over and over and over and over again. So if you're keeping score in the fight... You're in your corner. Hopefully by this point in time, the smoke has stopped coming out of your ears and you're not listening to Satan anymore, but you're listening to the Spirit of God. You're convicted of your own sin. You've repented before a holy God. You've experienced His forgiveness and grace for your contribution to the next step. Now what do you do? You get out of your corner? No. You forgive the other person. Now wait, we're still in the corner. How do we forgive the other person if they haven't asked for forgiveness yet? They haven't asked for it. I know, that's the point. Forgive the other person before you even talk to them. The reason that we need to do this is because it will influence the way that you go about talking to the person. If you extend forgiveness to the other person in your heart, it will lead you to change everything about the way that you approach the next round. So you might go, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what is forgiveness? And I love this definition of forgiveness. I didn't write it, but I don't know who, else, who, who did. Forgiveness is saying this. I choose to not demand repayment for the wrong that you have done to me. I'm going to say that again because that's... Critically important. I choose to not demand repayment for the wrong that you have done to me. See, the analogy is this. You're, you're probably, if you're honest with your own feelings and you're in conflict with the other person, you're, you're still hurt by what the other person did to you even after you've repented before God and sought your own forgiveness. But I need you to know, even if they never say that they're sorry... Forgiveness means something like this. It means 
writing out a check for the amount of the damage that was done to you with the amount written over the top of it, paid in full. And I want you to imagine, you're in your corner, you're thinking about the conflict, you're thinking about the harm that they've done to you, that when you get into the next round or you get you know, to the table with that person, you're going to slide across the table that check to them regardless of whether or not they pick up the check and accept it. Does that make sense? And here's the amazing thing. Because oftentimes when I use this analogy, people will go, well, the amount is too big. Like if I were to quantify the damage that was done to me and actually write out the number of zeros that were required to make reparation for the damage, I don't have a bank account that big. Can't do it. The check is going to bounce. Here's the amazing thing. Since Since your sins have been forgiven before a holy God, and we know that we're not just forgiven of our sins, but we're actually given Jesus' righteousness when we come into His family. We are His sons and His daughters. We get the Father's inheritance. Think monetarily. We get the bank account of our Father. So that means that you and I, we get to write forgiveness checks not against our bank account, but against His. This is huge. We need to understand what forgiveness means. That's why you and I can go around handing out forgiveness all day long because the expense of the forgiveness has been laid on Jesus' account, not yours. You're not writing checks from your amount. You're writing them from your Father's amount. And if you can't give out forgiveness checks, it's probably because you've forgotten the amount of grace that you have access to in His account for you. It's not just for you, but you get to give it through you to other people that need to have their damages repaired. You ever thought about forgiveness that way? I think that changes everything about the way that we think of forgiveness. The Gospel says we have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. Ever. And that Jesus cried out for our forgiveness from the cross before we even knew what sin was. And so what that means, hopefully, for us is that when you think about people that that need forgiveness from us, that they don't need to ask us for forgiveness before we give it out. So we need to remember that Jesus was actively extending forgiveness even to those who were piercing Him with nails and mocking Him as they did it. They had no idea what they were doing, and Jesus knew it. And he's writing checks from his forgiveness account, even to the Roman soldiers who are nailing his hands to a cross. Colossians 3.13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, made holy because of Jesus, and dearly loved because of Him, We didn't have anything lovely in us nor any holiness to grasp onto to present before our Father. We had nothing to offer Him. And yet we've been given holiness and love uncomparable. And if that's true, family, for us, then clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive you? Holy. See, we need to experience this daily or we're going to find it impossible to extend forgiveness to others. The moment that we forget that we need this ourselves is the moment we have trouble giving it away. All right. So we're ready to leave our corner. How many of you are glad? Let's get out of the corner. (laughs) We're ready. But look at all that happened in the corner, right? Look at all that took place over there. It was necessary for us. And I I just want to say this. Sometimes we've been in our corner for years and years and years stewing over conflict that has gone unresolved. I just want to give you just encouragement that with the Spirit's help, you can have that resolved in minutes. I mean, I've seen the Spirit do work in people's hearts that have gone, gone like with years of dust on them. And, and they, they walk themselves through this process with the help of the Holy Spirit. And in minutes, they're ready to come out of their corner. I just want you to, just to be encouraged by that. You don't have to spend years there. So, you're ready to come out of your corner. Here's what happens. You approach the person and begin by taking responsibility for your part. You take responsibility for your stuff. See, here's, here's what happens. The bell rings, you get back into the ring, and the other fighter has no idea what happened in your corner. Right? So what are they thinking is going to happen when they get back in the ring? Yeah. So they're either thinking, I'm going to come in in a defensive posture and wait for you to throw the first punch. And then be ready to counter. Or I'm going to come in offensively and I'm going at it. I'm just going to come at your face with punches. See, when, hopefully when you've gone through this process before coming out of your corner and you approach the person and take responsibility for your part, what are you doing? You're coming out of your corner and you throw the first punch at yourself. And let me say... If you're in a fight and the other boxer starts going at their own face, <laughs> it changes the bout, right? <laughs> Everything changes in that moment. The fight's over before it starts. Romans 12:18 says this. We talked about this already. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so you may come out and go, well, I'm, I'm going to come out of my corner. I've done all the work. And now I'm just going to wait and let them take responsibility. No, as far as it depends on you, seek peace. Now, you may go in and punch yourself in the face and they're going, that's right, let me add one on top of it. That's happened. But as far as it depends on you, start out with the right posture and seek the right things. That's why Jesus said, leave your offering at the altar and go to your brother if they sinned against you. Don't wait for them to to be in a place of reconciliation. You, with your heart, right before God, seek them. There's a couple things just to remember when you do this. Start by acknowledging your sin against God. Remember, the main thing that brought you into the conflict in the first place 
is not your sin against them. It's your sin against God. It's your idolatry with Him. It's because you believe the lie about Him. And so when you do this and you, and you start by acknowledging your sin before God and how that affected the other person, you're introducing the idea that God was in and part of the relationship even if you forgot about Him. Which is important. Because He's the only way that you're going to actually see true conflict be resolved. Next, just own up to the fact of how your sin affected the other person. Here's how my sin against God led to me hurting you in this way. Which is different from the typical apology. Because most apologies, they begin and end with what? I'm sorry. And we don't actually say what it is that we did. Which, as a dad, infuriates me about my four-year-old. Because I want him to understand what happened. Not just to be sorry for being, you know, having to sit in the corner for five minutes. Because he's probably sorry over the consequences, not the sin. And oftentimes we want to be sorry about the things that affected us because of our sin rather than how we offended God and the other person. One leads to worldly sorrow, which keeps us enslaved to the sin. One gives us freedom so that we can resolve the sin. Which one do you think is which? And then last, I would say this about being, you know, seeking this with the other person. No buts. Don't go in and say, here's how my sin against God happened and here's how it affected you. But you know what? I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done this. Or but, I've been under a lot of stress recently. And then last, ask for forgiveness and listen. Kind of tucking two into one here just to wrap up. Ask for forgiveness and listen. See, reconciliation is all about love. We talked about that last week. That as God's people, we're called to love everyone. We're called to love our neighbors and our enemies and our family and strangers and children and spouses. We're called to love. And when we fail to love, we need to actually seek forgiveness and grace for those things. And then we need to listen to what the other person has to say when we offer the forgiveness. Because here's what will happen. You will be tempted to use your apology as a way to gain the apology you think you deserve from the other person. Right? How many of you have ever done that before? I'm just going to go ahead and own up to my stuff because that's the quickest and easiest way to get an I'm sorry in, in return. Please don't do that. This is key. After you ask for forgiveness from them, you need to be willing to walk away from the conversation having never heard them say they need forgiveness too. And here's where that blank check of forgiveness comes in. This is why it's so important to write it out in advance. Because if you write it out in advance, you, you need to be willing to slide that check across the table and have them walk away from the table having never picked up the check or given you one in return. See, the thing about the Gospel that you need to remember in order to be able to do that, though, is that you do not need this person's approval or need to fear their disapproval of you. 
The reason that you don't need to do that is because the Maker of heaven and earth is the only one that you need to fear. And He is the only one who gives you the approval that you'll ever need and He's given it to you completely in His Son, Jesus Christ. You have it. You want acceptance? You have it. You want grace? In abundance. You've got it in Christ. Everything that you need. And so, because of that, you're free to admit your faults and your failures to other humans even if they use your admission of fault to judge you and condemn you for those things. Jesus was able to do that. He was misunderstood. He was beaten. He was mocked. And the reason that He was able to walk out all of that thing is because He was secure in His Father's love and He knew what His sacrifice for us would produce for us, which is reconciliation. All right, how are we feeling? We've done a lot, okay? Yeah, me too. Um, We're going to go to the tables in a moment, but um, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray and ask the Spirit some things. Because I think He may have several things that He wants to share with all of us. Just In terms of reviewing, you may need to uh, confess some gossip against another person. And so if that's happening or needs to happen, then then, um, you may need to go to the other person and ask for forgiveness. The Spirit may confront you uh, because you've engaged in gossip over other people or been entertained by it. Um, And He may want to encourage you to go to the other person. You may need to be reconciled with someone in this room. A spouse, a son or daughter, a parent, a member of your Cultivate community, somebody else from within the body. Here's what I would try to encourage you to do because we're going to go to the tables in a moment. And the table is a picture of God's restoring grace over our relationships. That's why we're called not to take it in an unworthy manner, which means not having done the work of trying to see if there's any breakdown in relationships with other people. Because we do this as a family. So, if there is something that needs to be resolved, I would just encourage you, if possible, go and talk to the person. And then if, if restoration is happening, go with the person to the table. Okay? Don't skip that. If you can. If possible, don't skip communion. Talk to them first and then go to the table together as a sign of your reconciliation. Let your actions be a picture of the Gospel. And then last, you may need to be reconciled with somebody who's not here. Somebody who might be across town or across the country. Maybe they're not even alive anymore. I don't know. I want to encourage you to seek peace in the relationship today as much as it depends on you. And so that may mean that you need to give a phone call later this afternoon or go visit someone. That's okay. 